0: My name is Renee and the title of our show is What in the Cell is Going On? We're on every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, which can be accessed live on PRN.live Or you can also call in 641-793-7091 We are blessed today to have definitely Stephen Fisher and hopefully Phyllis is with him, his wife Um, Are you guys there?
1: Yes, we're here
0: Excellent. Excellent. And uh, just to remind the audience, you guys have been on a couple shows last year, I believe we had you on, uh, sharing the wisdom that you have on being the original organic farmers from the 1970s. So I don't think anyone knows it better
1: than you do. (laughs) Well, we're we're constantly learning, too. Things are changing. Well, it's so important in these days, uh,
0: Stephen and Phyllis, to arm people with wisdom and knowledge um, on just something your wife introduced to me last week, and I was just blown away. So um, I, I'm just real excited for the audience to hear what you're going to teach them today.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate uh, being able to speak to many people. This is uh, our passion. It's been our passion, our adult uh, our entire adult life and we love sharing it with others. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we started, uh, in the seventies and it was basically to, uh, Phyllis is the scout in the family and brought back information about certain things in horticulture and our lifestyle that, uh, were healthy or not healthy. And so, uh, From there, we started uh, asking a lot of questions uh, about our food in particular. Uh, We have grown our own food since the early 70s and encouraged uh, many other people to to grow their food also. Now, not uh, maybe all their food, but to supplement it with something, to have uh, power over that and to have connection with that, uh, with the connection that what you're doing and also the connection with uh, God's blessing. The other day somebody came out uh, to our farm and was complimenting me on how beautiful it was and what we've created there, and I told them that God created all this. We're just taking care of it in the proper way. And so that's the information. Right. We're not teaching people how to create this. This is this is a gift that God has given all of us, and we want people to plug into it in a, in a wise way so it could uh, help us heal ourselves, help us maintain our health, and help us uh, heal the earth uh, with the proper knowledge. So Phyllis is here also to, uh, besides having the uh, hat in our horticulture business, Uh, Phyllis is also a childbirth educator and has been teaching uh, young people and other people that want to be practitioners about the importance of food early on in a woman's pregnancy and throughout a child's life. So uh, we're trying to get the information out there to as many people, especially young people starting families, so that they can maintain their health and they can uh, be a, a Uh, a good steward for the environment.
0: Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that's totally things that I've, and I know you guys know this, I've talked to you before about it, but I, you know, I wasn't as aware as you are back then when you guys got started, but um, definitely uh, have been led, you know, since my journey in life uh, with my baby girl, not only to um, start eating clean, the pesticide and hormone-free foods, but also um, the home burden. I had my soon-to-be 23-year-old daughter in my bed, um the midwife came just to catch her literally uh she got she came from an hour down south and and literally i was already nine and a half centimeters so i pretty much had her by myself okay our bodies are so (laughs) designed to have babies i've learned just like our breasts are designed to feed them so phyllis i so appreciate you because you're saving so many people from going through the trauma of, of, you know, child birthing and, and also the trauma of not being able to access clean foods Especially in today's world So thank you so much Well, an important
2: part of what we're talking about Is not just the, the information Because the information can be accessed It's also being able to accept the correct information. So we have a lot of very intelligent people in the world today. Certainly they're they're educated and they have a a lot of different hats they wear as far as their degrees and all that, but that doesn't mean they've put together the puzzle correctly. And um, there is elements here that have to be put together in a way that is actually um, genuinely helpful for the things we're talking about. So when Renee's talking about birthing and or being connected with uh, uh, clean food, etc. I mean, w- w- the first step is being willing to understand that there's a way to access that correct information. And that's just the first step. We still have to integrate it. We still have to find out directly how it works in our lives. And part of that is making a connection with that food itself, with that energy itself. So how many of us are doing that? You know, we make a shopping list, and then we go off to the grocery store, and we go off and buy things that are packaged or canned or frozen, etc. and we consider that food. And then most of us don't don't even know how to go get to the farmer's market. I mean, one of the first steps in doing this is making your connection with nature. I mean, how do you make a connection with nature? Well, uh, one of the ways to do that is get some seeds and sprout them. Or like we are talking about earlier, uh, Renee mentioned that you can take things that you've eaten and grow them just to even to find out how they grow. If you take an avocado and you just take the seed and you put it in water, just a little bit of water, what happens is it'll start to sprout because it's, the, the seed is alive. It doesn't look like it's alive, but it is alive. There is an energy inside that seed that will sprout. And in the right conditions, it will actually uh, create roots, and a tree trunk and grow to a avocado tree that could be, you know, 10, 20, 30 feet tall, depending on the, the variety.
1: We, we, we uh, in, in uh, talking about sprouting, uh, at our farm in uh, the panhandle of uh, North Florida, we have some old pecan trees. I think that the biggest one that we have is maybe 150 years old, we have been there close to 50 years, and it was pretty big when we were there, and it's still producing. So uh, our grandson was there, and there was a, a con nut that was forcing out a root through the shell, trying to sprout into a, a, another tree. But when you see that, when you see it starting... That life force in, in a tiny little seed can become a tree. And we've harvested over the years that we've been there hundreds, maybe a thousand pounds of nuts came from this little seed. Mm-hmm. So when I hear people say there's not enough food in, in the world, that people are hungry, God did not create that. We created the hunger. <laughs> There are plenty plenty of seeds that can sprout into trees. There's plenty of seeds that can sprout into just food. You could eat the sprout, you know. So it's just how we distribute it or hoard it or what we've done with it. But there is a, there's enough of everything in the universe for us. So, so okay. going back um,
2: to the willingness of um, being curious about nature and... And being in this position where you could look out and see the things that are going on in this kind of childlike, innocent way, I mean, that's what we're being taught in the Bible. If we want to really see with, with the ears to hear and the eyes to see, then what is required of us to do that? It is a willingness to be like, like innocent in, our, in ourselves so that we're not too busy we're not too smart. We're not too anything. We're just in the present moment looking at nature. And then we'll discover things that we could have never discovered, even if it's about our present situation and the food that we need to determine. We need to determine what food we're going to eat, but how are we going to do that without that place inside of us that can do that? Because the world is not going to go do it for us.
1: We, we should be teaching young people in school what we're talking about here. What more basic uh, knowledge is important to a person than how to birth and how to feed yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we spend years and years and years teaching what? Foolishness. If you don't know how to birth a baby or the, the process, of giving the natural process Mm -hmm. and if you don't know how to provide food or where to get it and what kind of foods you should eat and what you shouldn't eat then what good is all the other information it's useless it's useless so that
2: boils down to that willingness to to follow nature's way or being brainwashed by a system and a and a uh, groups and individuals that all they want to do is lead you in a direction of, well, we could see where the direction is now. It's quite clear with uh, one out of three women um, experiencing childbirth and trauma. This is the, you know, this is just straight statistics here. Why would there be women at all experiencing trauma birthing as Renee just discussed? Not at all because they're, self-confident and they know who they are and their baby's just being born is a beautiful life event. And that's what food should be too. It should be a wonderful experience. God gave us taste buds to enjoy our food. And when we're uh, in in alignment and, in, and tuned into that energy of the correct food, we feel good when we're
1: making those choices. That's part of us. That is wired inside of us. When I talk to some people About horticulture, I'll hear them say, oh, I don't have a green thumb. Well, that's because you haven't plugged in to that part inside of you. You know, how many people uh, have the experience of childbirth before the child, before you're having that child, wearing that child? So the same thing. You have... There's an intuition inside of you. There is observation to observe things. That's why I thought it was so important that experience that I had with my grandson about this huge tree and this little sprout. Mm -hmm. And that if you nurture the little sprout, it will grow into this kind of tree. If you don't nurture it, it'll just wither because there were hundreds of little uh, sprouts coming up from all these uh, pecans that we hadn't picked. So we need to, to be the nurturer. Yes, we need to be the nurturer. We need to to, to be the steward of, of our environment so that we continue to have uh, clean food, clean uh, water, and clean air. And- but these are such basic things
2: and really what that's a call to is that innocence that we talked about earlier it's a call to be in the present moment with that that perfection that our creator gave us we can't learn in any other way we can't learn this all from a book we can't learn this from video we can't learn this all from the internet the the, the, those sources of information could get us started but we have to take the time and be willing to sit in that present moment to be able to observe these things. So a couple more examples of the seed that we just talked about are a pineapple. Um, who doesn't love a pineapple, especially, you know, when when they're nice, chilled just a little bit, and, you know, it's a, it's a summer day and you want something refreshing. We know pineapple is a medicinal food anyway. It's so good for your kidneys. I mean, it's really good for digestion and so forth. But we really there's only a few places in the United States they could even grow a pineapple. They tried to grow them in Florida in the 1940s and, and they made it you know a big deal. But then they got a cold snap, and they in that ruined their idea. But they do grow them in the subtropics, in the Hawaii and places like that, and then they import import them. Well, we can actually grow. Uh, easily grow a pineapple plant. It's a bromeliad. So if if you had a pineapple, the best way to purchase those pineapples is to buy a whole pineapple, for instance. So if you go and take just when you cut the top off, if you take that pineapple and just put it on a wet rag or something that's damp for a few days, what'll happen is it'll start to regenerate itself. And before you know it, and if you keep it just moist enough and give it enough light, what it will do, that little top of the pineapple will regenerate the entire pineapple plant that the pineapple grows on. And we've done it before. Uh-huh. So when when we were when you're up north, a little more north, you only have a certain amount of time to do that. So you have to do it within that time frame. And then if it gets cold, you have to bring it in because it knows it's cold and it doesn't like that because it's a very tropical plant. So um, what you do is you keep it warm enough. If you have a place where you keep it warm in a sunroom or next to a window, what will happen is it'll start growing this vermilia. It's a beautiful, it kind of uh, has little forms on it, so you have to be careful. But, and it can grow very big depending on the, the um, variety. So it can get as much as 12 to 20 inches wide. So it'll keep growing, and then eventually, you know what happens? A pineapple comes right out of the top of it. A pineapple, a little mini pineapple first, it starts out. A little mini pineapple starts coming out of the top. Oh, my goodness. It's regenerating itself. Isn't it amazing?
1: Yeah, we, uh, when, we were far- yeah when we were farming in South Florida, uh, we kept all the pineapple tops, and so we started planting them around the perimeter of the garden. So we did grow pineapples they weren't real big but they were super sweet because one of the things is, is most of the food that is picked is picked too green it's not totally ripe, and it hasn't had a chance to develop the sugar content that a ripe uh fruit uh would have so it, it was smaller it was a tiny uh pineapple but it was so sweet it was incredible because it was mature And uh, that's the big, big difference of being able to to buy things that are mature and ripe. That's one of the—even all these uh, advertisements about tomatoes, there are no tomatoes on the commercial market that I've ever seen that are vine-ripe for two reasons. One, a tomato is very soft, very perishable. And the way they pick them commercially, whether it's uh, commercial or organic or conventional, they put them in big boxes to ship them, big crates in which there's hundreds of pounds on top of the ones on the bottom. So if you had a ripe tomato and you put 100 pounds on top of it, what would happen? It was squished. (laughs) It make tomato sauce. So none of the tomatoes are allowed to be ripe. As a matter of fact, uh, a few of our children, when they were younger, worked in uh, a packing house where they packed tomatoes, and they only could take the green ones and pack them. All the ones that had any red or even pink were coals, and they'd throw them out. And all those coals, they would take out, to the fields and they would feed them to the cows. Those were the good tomatoes. Those were the ones that were closer to being ripe. The others were green and they take them to a processing uh, plant and they gas them to make them artificially become ripe. But they never do become ripe. That's why they're always hard. You can sit it on, it has a long shelf life, but it has no taste. And it doesn't have the vitamin and mineral content uh, because it hasn't become a, a ripe uh, fruit, so and the varieties that they use are really tough. They have to be like a uh, a baseball. So, so
2: the best place to go is farmers market for those kind of perishable fruits, and in finding out where your farmers market every there's farmer markets cropping up everywhere. Even if you had to drive an hour to a farmers market, it's worth it because they would be bringing in ripe things, and then you would find how to how uh, ripe tomato or, or fruit would taste. And, you know, it's nothing new in Europe. I, I was telling a friend, I was talking on a Zoom conversation to a friend in Hungary, and I was telling him when I was in Hungary many years ago that it was such a pleasure to go to their farmer's market because in the farmer's market, they actually had ripe fruit. I mean, how wonderful was that? We don't know what a ripe fruit is when you go to a grocery store because that corporation has parameters and the way they make money and the way they store things and the way they generate, you know, the, the distribution, et cetera, is within their parameters, not nature's. They're using nature rather than learning from nature. And it's not that they couldn't do it because obviously in Europe they were doing it. And this was many years ago they were doing it but they also know how to do it there's a sense of understanding when to pick how much to pick you know so that you can you can get it out to the uh, individuals and then also the conditioning people want fresh uh, produce in europe but here it seems like people want
1: they don't want it well they don't have the connection and they they don't have the experience of of tasting something that is fine, ripe. Right? I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, and even in Pittsburgh, all the old-timers that I knew that had come from the old country, most of them planted tomatoes. If they only had a little space in their backyard, everybody had a few tomato plants. Uh, because a tomato plant is very prolific, and it can give you quite a few tomatoes. There are some that are called determinant and some that are indeterminate. Determinant tomatoes grow to a certain height, and then they stop the the height growth, and they put out the tomatoes. So it might get three foot, but it will produce all all the tomatoes that it's going to on that three-foot plant, whereas indeterminate will continue to grow. So if you have enough support, you could have that tomato grow six, seven foot tall, and continue to put out tomatoes. The best tomatoes I've ever uh, eaten have been probably in the, in the north. They didn't have the bug problems. They didn't have uh, the short season that we have in the south with the uh, funguses and stuff like that. And quite a few people would grow tomatoes. My dad only planted one thing. It was a tomato plant <laughs> in the backyard. I was talking to my cousins not long ago, and they're. Uh, grandparents would plant a tomato plant. Uh, Phyllis has a picture of uh, her great-grandmother in Brooklyn. I think it was that she came from Italy, and she not only had tomatoes, that she had eggplants and zucchini. They weren't going to the store to get that. In fact, you know the first immigrants. We didn't have stores like that, so they had to grow a few things. Well, and they had a shorter growing season because it snows there. Oh,
2: yeah. So they had to save their seeds. They had to plant their seeds properly at the, you know, when finally the, the ground wasn't frozen any longer, and then, you know, do what they needed to do in a few short months. And then they grew, a lot of times they grew enough so that they would they would process it. So they would process the tomatoes in glass jars so they could use it later. And if you do it right, then you have plenty of it. You know, you don't have to go to the grocery store and get things. So, so there's ways to do this. That's what it's important. All our ancestors knew how to do this. They knew it because they had to do it. But what's happened in the last 50 years is that people have gone in the direction of thinking that it was modern and convenient and and easier, et cetera, to go with this this, this store bought stuff. And, you know, in some ways it looks like that. But now with this, what they call forever chemicals, I mean, you know about that? That's crazy. The packaging alone could be contaminating our food. The the processing can contaminate. It could be great food, but the processing and packaging and shelf life and the stuff they're putting in it to keep it on the shelf longer could be contaminating our food. So it's important that we're aware of that, not be frightened by those things, because when we're in the state of... Of, of fear, then we go into fight and flight, and then we we stress ourselves out, and then our immune system doesn't work the way, it, the way it's designed. We need to stay calm and understand that there's solutions for these. And in small communities, there's plenty of food that's being produced. If there's an Amish community in your area, if there's a um, Mennonite community, if there's, um, I mean, a, a variety of different people are still doing this in, on a regular basis. Find your farmer's markets and find out. And then there's all these young people are just earth-friendly now. I know a dozen young couples that have started farms in a variety of different places, and they're growing amazing things, fruits and vegetables and meats and, and uh, kombucha. I mean, they're doing all kinds of amazing things, but they're small, and they don't have the usually the resources to advertise, so you have to look for these people and support them, because the more we support those kinds of people, the more they can do what they're doing and pass on, you know, this knowledge to others in their community
1: it's also you know besides the benefits of uh, uh, the food and giving us good health when people are farming uh, without the use of poison sprays pesticides petroleum-based fertilizers we are saving our planet everybody wants to save the planet but how many people are actually supporting people that are saving the planet. (laughs) So over the, over the years, we've uh, encouraged many people through uh, horticulture to plant trees, whether it's a fruit tree or a nut tree uh, or even a shade tree. Trees are clean air machines. They're helping us clean the air. They're helping us uh, keeping things cool. So if, There is a change in the climate. The trees are helpful. I suggest we do a consultation, uh, a landscape consultation for people that uh, are starting out with a new home or wanting to redo their landscape. And quite often we talk about planting a tree, especially on the south side, here in the Mm -hmm. south, uh, where it gets excessively hot. you can keep your house much cooler out in the country uh we have oh maybe on the south side and the west side uh quite a few trees we had a lot more we had a hurricane michael in 2018 take down a lot of the big trees but as soon as we cleaned up from that that was one of our uh, first uh, things that we did is we replanted best growing trees on the south and west side so that it would provide shade for the house and keep it cooler so we wouldn't have to uh, run the A.C. quite as uh, much. For many years, we didn't have even A.C., but we have A.C., but wh- why uh, spend more on electricity than you have to? All, all uh, We've also... This is not through horticulture, but we found, you know, materials that are better insulators than uh, black uh, asphalt uh, shingles on a roof. So being observant, you know, you know speaking of structures, when people uh, go to buy a home, they get a, a home inspection from a person that is a, a professional. And he'll come and he'll tell you things that uh, need to be, uh, that are safe unsafe, uh, things that should be replaced, but before you buy food, do you have somebody knowledgeable telling you about that food? Is there somebody in the supermarket saying this, this was grown uh, with uh, Roundup? All this GMO uh, mm-hmm. products out now are so compromised because it's for the convenience of the grower. Not for any health reasons. So we need to educate ourselves. Educate, educate, educate. That's the beginning. If you can plant some things, yes, plant them. If you can buy things from people that are doing it in a clean way, support them. But educate yourself, educate your children, and uh, pass it on. That's the only way that we're going to change things, is to be knowledgeable not just complaining that we don't have food, that we don't have, uh, that everything is too hot, that climate, then let's do something about it. Let's start planning some things in the right way. Let's share that information with our children. Let's encourage people to get into horticulture. Yeah. It, 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 it is a, uh, a viable uh, profession now. It's something that you can do that has meaning. Everybody doesn't need to be a doctor or an attorney. How many parents are pushing children to be a farmer? We need to change that narrative. That well, This is, this is the, uh, so important for the future of the planet. Well, in
2: 1930, 70% of the population lived on farm. And not By 1970, 30%. And today, about... Less than two percent live on farms. What does that tell you? That tells you that <laughs> there's been a big change in the last hundred years, and are we really prepared for the change that is and the direction everything's moving? No, I don't think so. The changes that have happened have not been really in the in the realm of humanity. It's in the realm of big business. It's in the realm of control. It's in the realm of doing things for, you know, the the bottom line for profit. And we need to understand that we let go of the control that we had. Our, if we look back three, two to three generations, somebody was a farmer. Somebody was. Maybe the fourth generation, but somebody was. Or if they weren't directly farming, they were supporting the farmers in their area in some way. And so if that's the case, then we have to look at the changes that are happening and understand it's just a few generations of, of making correct choices that we could be back in a place where there's not a problem with our earth. The problem is with the people and the decisions that they're making. It's already been established that if we take care of the soil, that the carbon will be balanced. It's already been established. There's a whole regenerative uh, movement today that is um, educating people to understand that. So, if we have a lawn, if we have a quarter acre or, or an eighth acre, then why are you putting chemicals on the grass? Your 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 uh, little space should be like a meadow. It shouldn't be like you know uh, um, a monoculture, where you know you're trying to get every weed like uh, uh, dug out and 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 and, and thrown away when probably most of the weeds that are in the grass are edible.
1: Yes, I, I have a, a list of, uh, from the Department of Agriculture. The United States Department of Agriculture put out a list of uh, weeds that would come up in a lawn. Then I, I, I was reading this book, and I copied this list of uh, wild herbs that would come up in a lawn, And they were very similar. So the one group is seeing beneficial herbs in their lawn. The other is seeing a nuisance weed. It's crazy. And that goes to what
2: we just said about being in the present moment with what we have. So the value of what is in the lawn to one person is a menace to another person only because of the kind of thinking they're going through. when. When you can forage in your lawn and you can actually eat the thing if you're not spraying it and if you're taking care of the
1: the soil. I told Phillips when I was growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, I had very limited uh, experience with uh, growing food other than the one tomato plant. My dad would plant in the backyard. But I was uh, in a a city park and I was noticing these women going through the park with... uh, shopping bags, paper shopping bags, and picking something and putting it in there. And I came home that night, and I said to my dad, I saw these ladies. They were picking all this stuff in the in the park. He said, oh, they were picking dandelions. So mm. they were picking their bitter greens in, 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 the, uh, in the park. Now, back then, I don't think they really went to the trouble of spraying the park. If, if weeds came up, weeds came up, you know, what they considered weeds. When herbs come up, herbs come up.
2: So in our, and we know that, that dandelion is a blood purifier, and it's a bitter herb. So, um, you know, going back thousands of years, we know that bitter herbs are a part of of our health, and using them properly, especially because that when they come up, they come up in the early spring. That's when you're digging the greens, and then when later, when you want the the root, the root goes down. You know, it could go down 6 inches, 8 inches, 12 inches, depending on the the uh, age of that dandelion. And that root is edible as well. And then, of course, it makes a wonderful plume, a flower on it. And when you're a child and you walk around and you you see it and you pick it and you blow it and the seeds go everywhere. You know, this is what we're talking about when you're, when you're willing, just like we did when we were children to walk around and see the flowers that are growing in our yard or in the neighborhood. And once we get those eyes and those ears, we can start seeing food everywhere, really.
1: yeah. are so
2: surprised how much food is growing.
1: Yeah, so I showed my children in our lawn at the farm that we mow. Uh, well, there's four seasons of weeds because we don't get snow here. So
2: in the spring, there's spring weeds, and then there's summer weeds, and there's fall weeds. You know? I mean, it's just so important that you, you see the different weeds that come up.
1: So the, 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 there, there's a couple of big herbs that really show themselves if you don't destroy them or if you don't cut them uh, off. So mullen is, is one that has kind of naturalized itself on our property. And when I see a mullen plant, I'm on the mower. I'll just mow around it. And it's a big uh, leaf plant, beautiful kind of blue-green, velvety uh, leaves. It's uh, very medicinal, uh, very good for your uh, bronchial, for your lungs and stuff. And then as everybody was uh, freaking out about COVID, there were things in our lawn (laughs) that you could use to, to deal with certain symptoms that might... Uh, a person might have it if they had COVID. We have uh, plantain, which is a good too, that would come up. It's a little smaller, uh, but once you know what to look for, and then you could mow around that, and if you need it, you could go out and just dig it.
2: And, of course, what's interesting is that it proliferates itself. There's nothing you have to do.
1: Right. You just have to have the knowledge that this is coming up. And these herbs are everywhere. When I was up north... I'd see burdock grown up in, in a lot of... Uh, hors- a big, horseradish, too. Yeah, horseradish and abandoned yeah. Uh, fields yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, what was that fellow, Yul uh, Gibbons? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a whole book about stocking a lot of asparagus. Mm-hmm. And he had a whole list of things that he would just go around and find uh, so, on the roadside. So
2: uh, one of the fun things to do is to acquaint yourself very very comfortably with what it is that you can forage for, and then just start adding a little bit of that to your salad. Just make sure that your lawn or wherever you're picking from is, um, is not chemicalized and or is being used by dogs or cats, to, you know, for their, for their, you know, going to the bathroom ground, something like that. Use common sense, in other words. But, but what you can do is just have, you know, a walk.
1: And look for things. Yeah, if you like hiking and you're out in a a state park or something, out in the woods. You'd be surprised. No, they're right in urban areas.
2: Oh, yeah. In urban areas, you're going to see things like there's a European mustard that grows all over the United States that um, has kind of a, you know, it has like a little peppery taste. And you can eat the flowers and you can also eat the um, leaves. So, you know, you're going to find different things. You just find something that you can identify very easily. And then that way you can build your knowledge. You, you know, you start with something. Um, a lot of times these kind of things are little classes that our health food stores might be teaching. Or, you know, you might find a book for your area. Every area is going to be a little different. What grows in Florida is going to be different than what grows in Maine. Although there might be some similarities, there might be a plant, and there might be a dandelion, etc. But it might look a little different, so you have to be familiar enough, and then you could just double check it. There's an app now, I understand. A friend of mine just showed me where you just take a picture of the plant. And it will show you its database and it'll help you to understand. A lot of times, it doesn't tell you the specific p- plant, but it'll tell you the family, so you could do
1: some research. Yeah, there's, and, c- there's certain plants that grow in the south and, and uh, in the uh, Mid Atlantic and uh, up north that are edible in a uh, in a landscape that right. you think are just ornamentals, but they're edible. We we had a friend one time, and I had. Uh, this It's called a strawberry guava. It's planted in the south here, mostly as an ornamental. It, it has a little fruit, but it's not grown as specifically as a fruit tree. It's mostly an ornamental. And he came by, and there, it was blooming. And he picked the, the blossoms, and he started eating them. I said, Howard, what are you doing? He said, these are like candy. Here, try them. It's like a, a marshmallow. He grew up in the islands in the uh, Bahamas. And as a child, they would go out and they would eat many different things. And so now, that is one of uh, our favorite things. We leave enough of the the uh, blossom so that we could get some fruit. But it it is a treat. You can go out there. It's
2: a beautiful flower that's about two and a half three inches wide, and it has uh, several petals on it that are about a half you know like quarter to half inch long. And they're like a marshmallow. The petal on one side is white and pink on the other side. And when you pick the petal off, it's sweet and soft like a marshmallow. And it is so adorable. I mean, you could eat the whole Mm -hmm. thing, you know, there's nectar in it and stuff. And when you, when you, it's just a gorgeous flower as well. It has a red, like crown in the center and these white petals around it. And then when you leave it, it turns into a fruit that's about, I don't know, two and a half to three inches long. Yes. it tastes like a guava. It's pink inside like a guava. So, I mean, we grow those now for a lot of, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful plant. It's Right now, the ones we have are between four and six foot tall and uh, four and six foot wide. So there's plenty of, um, flowers and fruit on it when they bloom and they tolerate the, our winter here so they're they're hardy. we like that and, and so there's something everywhere
1: that yeah. a person can grow roses are edible yeah <laughs> rose petals are used for many different things so i don't know how many people you know we eat the rose petals and the roses are very heavily sprayed it's one of the things that people think that you need to spray them to to, uh, to prevent uh, funguses and, and diseases. But if you pick the, the right varieties at, at first that are not susceptible to fungus and disease, you can grow those in areas without spraying. And there are certain ones in the South that we've been able to recommend to clients or people that uh, have listened to us. That, that do well. It's
2: fun to put a rose petals on um, on yogurt or something light colored because you know a person that if you go to a cover dish or something and do that they'll look at it like what is that? Well, rose petals have always been edible. <laughs> they're hard to they're hard to cook or you know blend or something like that because they're so fragile. But and the flavor is just so so very very mild. But they're edible. That's the issue. And as long as they're being uh taken care of in a in a in a sustainable way. Certainly, you know, most of us could grow rose in a way that or
1: pansies. pansies. Pansies are not Phyllis yeah. was talking about, you know, decorating food. You can put pansies up there. They're just beautiful. But they're also edible. You're not uh, contaminating your your food by uh, churching it up a little bit there. Mm-hmm. So there's many things, that, and we can introduce those things into our, our children's life so that it's fun, it, that, uh, it's interesting. and that- A good way to do that is with potatoes. So
2: if you have a potato, either it could be any kind of white potato or it can be any kind of sweet potato. You can regenerate a potato with a potato. And most people think, oh, those terrible eyes, let's cut them off. <laughs> then they just throw them away. They don't even compost them, but they throw them away. Oftentimes, if you cut those eyes off and you compost them, you'll see a potato plant growing in your compost. You know, because you're, you, you know, sometimes the outside of the compost isn't as hot. So if you take a potato that has gotten green and you don't want to eat it now because it's so green. Or sprinkle up. Or, yeah. A bunch of eyes. But it has a bunch of eyes on it. Sometimes you'll say, oh, goodness, I can't use this. Take it and just cut it in half, and put the part that's open that you've just cut, put a couple toothpicks on it in a glass of water. And in a matter of a week, you'll start seeing roots coming out of the eyes and out Mm -hmm. of that potato. And eventually those eyes will consume the starch in the potato as food, and it will make a plant. And if you plant that in the early spring... Uh, depending on areas uh, that you're in, then what happens is that plant will generate itself and create potatoes underneath it. The potatoes are like under the ground. So you start Mm -hmm. digging after about 60 days and you'll see little potatoes all over those roots, depending on the variety. If it's one of those Yukon Golds, it'll be you know, that type of potato, or if they rust it, et cetera, red uh, creamer or something like that, it will come true to the potato that you just regenerated. The same thing happens with sweet potatoes. So if sweet potato starts to, you know, sprout or something, just you could get, you could put it in the ground, it'll do the same thing, but it's kind of fun to watch. So if you cut it, you can make two sprouted potatoes, and what will happen is it will start to generate these vines, these little sprouts and then vines. Those vines, you could cut them off and start more and more. So if you cut the vine off and put it in the same water, it will grow roots. Then if you take it outside and get yourself some really good, rich uh, dirt and you put those um, uh, vines with the roots in there, cover them up, then before you know it, 60 days or longer, you'll start seeing it'll be regenerating itself under the ground and making those sweet potatoes under the ground. Some sweet potatoes are clumpers and some are runners. So sometimes wherever you put your um, sweet potato plant, they'll all be there. But if you don't see them there, you have to find, them. you have to follow the route because it'll go a foot, two foot, three foot down. <laughs> Last year, one of our children was looking for the potato and he's starting to dig and dig and there's a potato there how big was that
1: potato Oh, uh, it was like maybe 14 16 inches <laughs> long yeah it was like it was big it, it was like, like five pounds it was like five pounds
2: <laughs> i mean it was right there but you had to find it you know it was it had regenerated itself from that
1: little sprout so also to mm-hmm. since we're talking about some things when you do find somebody or do find a uh, a good source of uh, clean food, then you can preserve it in some way so that uh, it'll last for a long time. Sometimes uh, you can can it. Sometimes you can freeze it. Sometimes you can dry it. So we've done a number of different things. So, for instance, with the blueberries, when they come on and the weather is hot or if it's raining, there's just a short period of time maybe three, four weeks, even with different varieties that that, uh, mature at at different times. You have to pick it all. But what are you going to do? So we now freeze a lot of uh, blueberries when we have a a large amount. So if you go somewhere and you can find clean blueberries, pick as much as you can and then put them in the freezer and you can keep them uh, for the whole uh, summer and winter. Also, too, we had uh, canning is a, a little bit more uh, time involved, but those uh, dehydrates a lot of uh, things. We dehydrated persimmons for for many years, and they have like uh, fruit leather that we can uh, pull out when uh, we want something sweet. So
2: when you have fruit and it can perish, you can uh, you could stop the The um, perishing of it by just dehydrating it and then storing it in um, uh, containers that are air-free, you know, that are that that are are, they're contained in something that doesn't allow air in and out of it. But once it's dried, it has so much the sugar content in a persimmon is so high that it doesn't it doesn't decompose any longer. What would decompose it is the the oxidation of the air and the the content of the fruit that uh, starts to ferment. So you stop the fermentation process by dehydrating it. Yeah, you take out the moisture, and then it can't, it's just like Steve said, it looks like leather, but it's like, really, it's bright orange like a persimmon, really. And you don't need to do anything to it. The thing that's important here is that you understand that you don't have to put preservatives on it. You don't have to put sugar or salt. You don't have to do anything. Nature is taking care. I mean, our ancestors have been doing things like this for you know literally thousands of years. Take a fig. You go to a place like um, uh, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in the Near and Far East. They've been dehydrating figs in places like Turkey and, and you know Israel and places like that for thousands of years. Why? Because it's easy. You know, and in Italy they have these strings that you buy, and all the figs. They, after the the fig um, dries, they string them like a necklace, and then you pull them off one at a time.
1: Yeah, you know. Speaking of uh, the Italians liking figs, I remember in uh, in the north when I was in uh, New York State, uh, they would cover their fig uh, trees or bushes. Uh, there were maybe so uh, maybe six foot or or less. And they'd build a structure they would build a a wooden structure around the fig and then they would take burlap and cover it. So they didn't want the snow to crush it, but they also wanted to keep it uh, from freezing too hard. Mm -hmm. And in the springtime, they would unveil it and they would uh, have figs. We're very fortunate in North Florida because we're at the temperate zone So we could grow a lot of things that uh, are grown a little further south uh, in the subtropics, but we can also grow uh, fruits and vegetables that go up into the temperate zone. Uh, We just finished uh, eating uh, our figs. They were marvelous (laughs) because they were ripe, right on the tree. They were very ripe. And there were different stages of being ripe. And so right before – they got too ripe. Was the, the the perfect time, and you could pick them like that, and and the, the sugar content was incredible. So, uh, we have been blessed uh, with God's gift, and I just want to pass it on that everybody could receive that blessing.
2: Maybe Renee, you have some questions your listeners might be interested in, or before we end today.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just blown away. I know we have to go back to basics here. Um, the one question I have is how, are, we have a few more minutes now, how um, how do you keep the pests, or not the, the bugs, how do you keep the rodents from eating your produce?
1: Well, uh, sometimes uh, the physical process, sometimes you, you have to put a net or something around something to keep the birds from eating too much. If you only had say two or three blueberry bushes and you didn't have a lot of blueberries and you didn't want to share most of them with the birds there's netting that you could put over it we have quite a few 50 or 60 blueberry bushes and so we allow the birds to take what they want and we still have more than enough there are certain uh natural uh things that we could use uh to prevent uh we grow a lot of garlic and we could use that garlic in, in, a, in a way where we crush it up, uh, mix it with uh, water, cook it down, get a, a spray, and spray things with, uh, uh, with the garlic. We've mixed the garlic with uh, hot pepper, and that seems to repel a lot of uh, insects. Uh, so there's a lot of things out there. Uh, we, the other day, I had a lot of. Uh, Little uh, uh, worms eating up uh, some of the leaves on, on the tomatoes. Well, we use uh, diatomaceous earth, which is uh, a, I guess it was undersea deposit at one time, and they crush it up, and it has these real sharp, you'd have to look at a microscope, but very sharp edges. And so for any soft-bodied uh, insect, especially things, uh, worms, it will cut them and uh, they'll leave that plant alone. There are certain uh, botanicals that have been used for a long time, too. There's uh, what they call BT, uh, which is a virus that is lethal to uh, caterpillars, worms that would be eating up uh, your, your plants. Well, if you spray this on there, it's not harmful to people, but it's lethal, you know. Hmm? What, you were going to say something? Neem oil. Oh, neem oil, too. We've used uh, peppermint castile soap for many years also. So there's many things uh, that are available out there. Uh, yeah, if don't want to know too, uh, they can get in touch with us. Uh, yeah. What's the, what's the best way for people to contact
2: us, Phyllis? she puts the website on the on the uh, bottom of the. Okay. When they download it, they could go through the website.
1: And so they could email so or call.
0: They okay. could email or call us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to do the closing now, but I want to propose to you guys. Um, uh, well, first let me just make a comment back to what I've been teaching on the show for years and five years. It's all about the cellular terrain. You have a strong cellular terrain. You know, bugs don't prey. So with a with a strong, healthy plant that you're teaching people how to grow with the soil and everything that you guys do, bugs don't. They're not attracted to that. Bugs are attracted to you know, sick plants basically. So I want to get more into that. We got we have to close now, but I definitely oh, okay. would love to propose to you guys at least once a month or once every six weeks, if you guys can take time. I would love to have you on this show because guys, we, we need to teach the masses because now more than ever, the enemy is coming after, you know, Sickness Incorporated's big business. And the same people I expose on my shows every week. Um, are behind, you know, trusting medical doctors who aren't taught anything about nutrition in school. It's an elective class. And I want to cover all this stuff with people and make them understand. So please pray about it. I really want to have you guys on regularly because not only do I want to learn this stuff because I know I'm going in that direction. I'm saving seeds now and I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to call you later so we can talk about what I can at least do now so I don't lose them. Um, but that's the direction I'm going, and uh, I think we need to share this with the masses right now on the importance of doing it ourselves.
1: Yeah. So thank
0: you, thank you I'll for your time. We'll talk later yeah. about that. Um, okay. I want to come see you. I'm actually traveling on Sunday, and I want to come see you, maybe come spend some time with you guys. But just thank you for taking the time today, and we'll talk about how often you guys can come on the show and really open people's eyes, Okay. okay.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for having uh, this show.
0: Yes, hallelujah. What a blessing. Everybody is going to have such a wealth of information with all, all your wisdom, and I so appreciate you. Okay, audience, you're listening to Vaccine Information Coalition. Our shows can be accessed later on the com or on the front page of our vacinfo.org website right underneath the little boy flexing his muscles we're on every monday at 2 p.m eastern our contact number is 954-347-9671 we thank progressive radio network and xeno radio for allowing us to give you this uncompromised truth and ya bless